and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights. These are turbulent times uh, with inflation accelerating. It was up 7.5% in January of 2022 um, and even higher in our own CPG space. We've experienced considerable out of stocks um, in various categories, including sports drinks, candy, refrigerated dough, skincare and shaving, health remedies, air fresheners. I mean, really stocks, in stock levels of in the 60s and 70s. So here to help us make sense of this, of the current market conditions and hopefully provide an optimistic outlook is KK DeVay, president of client engagement here at IRI. So welcome KK. Glad to be here, Joan. Thank you. Thanks. Let's start with inflation and what the impact these higher prices are having on shoppers. Um, we know that much of the stimulus that fueled sales in 2020 and part of 2021 has dried up. So how are consumers going to meet their budgets when prices are up across the board? Indeed, uh, the prices have been, you know, we have been tracking uh, closely uh, the prices of uh, grocery items, particularly food and beverage basket right and that basket on average uh, for uh, for everyone has kind of gone to close to about eight to nine percent range in the most recent weeks uh, and and that's pretty significant eight to nine percent versus a year ago and if you kind of really benchmark it pre-covid it will be even higher right and so we have been monitoring that closely to see you know, if there are changes in behavior that is emerging that we can help manufacturers and retailers deal with. Um, there are like a few learnings so far. One, uh, if in terms of consumer baskets, from our panel data, we are observing that even though the basket size is same in terms of dollars, in terms of units, it's coming down meaning consumers are dropping one or two occasion, one or two discretionary items from their baskets. The volume per unit is same. So it's it's not like people are buying bigger packages. It's it's you know their volumes are flat per unit, but the the units are coming down, which uh, suggests uh, you know people are dropping a few discretionary items. And what is discretionary is different, right? In some family I'm a rice eater. Maybe you know wheat is uh, a discretionary to me. If you're a red meat eater, uh, maybe you know some of the other meat alternatives are discretionary to you. Bottled water may be discretionary to somebody else. Some uh, snacks may be discretionary for other families. So you know the items may be different, but uh, but you know the the units are coming down. That's number one. Number two, in some categories where pricing is going up in mid to high uh, teens, what we are finding is private label, uh, you know, is picking up, suggesting to us that uh, 
they're beginning to trade down, right? So uh, some of the, even though private label has had some challenges in the, uh, during the COVID uh, era, uh, primarily related to supply, like many manufacturers, what we are finding is uh, private label is beginning to inch up in certain categories like oils, shortenings, some of the meat categories, you know, frozen meat, breakfast meat, uh, and, and some other categories where private label is strong. So we are finding that consumers are trading up. So I've said two things, right? One is people are beginning to drop a few items. People are beginning to trade down a little bit, not in all categories. And then thirdly, what we have been doing is to monitor price elasticities to see how price elasticities are shaping up. One thing that we observed uh, pre compared to pre-COVID era, during the, the year of the first year of COVID, price elasticities went down, meaning people became less price sensitive. Um, and for good reasons, you know, they were in the store for a short period of time. There were some shortages in certain aisles of the of the supermarket. So, you know, they picked up whatever they could. There were there were less promotions because uh, companies couldn't do their all their special merchandise. Super Bowl. If you go to a to a store on the weekend, we'll see those big uh, displays of uh, soda, chips, beer, and other uh, other food items. Those kinds of things people could not build because of safety and uh, distance, social distancing in stores. So promotions are cut. So, you know, obviously, therefore, we uh, ended up paying a little bit more price. We couldn't wait for the deal to buy it uh, on deal, yeah, three for 10 or 10 for 10 um, uh, kinds of deals that are typically offered a buy one, get one free. The price elasticity, we did find it down. Now, what we are seeing is that the price sensitivity is picking up in some categories where, again, there is high inflation. People are uh, buying less of certain categories. A, a bunch of categories have turned negative in terms of volume. They aren't selling that much. Uh, so, you know, again, it's not happening across the board. There's still a bunch of Omicron-related shortages in the economy in, in certain, certain uh, categories. But we're seeing elasticity ticking back up for some categories, and sometimes it's overshooting 2019 levels. So these are some watch-ups. So, and I, we're going to get to supply chain in a minute, but let's just stick mm-hmm. with this inflation. Are there things that retailers and brands can do? I mean, you mentioned private labels. So that's a great retailer strategy of maybe promoting some of their private labels. But what are some of the other things that any retailer or brand can do to kind of hang on to shoppers? As again, you mentioned that they might be making, they're really questioning all their purchases. Yeah. Retailers, that's a gr- great question. Retailers are keenly sensitive to this. And uh, and what they have been saying and what they seem to be doing is to ensure that they do not pass on all the price increases for some of the essential categories like meat or you know milk or bread uh, kinds of categories, which uh, are more essential across, our, across the majority of uh, shoppers. Um, that's number one. So they, you know, the retailers have uh, their own list of what they call as key value items, items that shoppers focus on. For some, as I said before, it may be bananas, it may be uh, bread, it may be certain types of meats that they typically are used to buying at a particular uh, grocer. So uh, retailers are making sure that on their key value items, they they price competitively to the market. 
and uh, and and retain the shopper as opposed to you know the shopper noticing you know significant price increases that's number one number two is offering more select promotions selectively to to shoppers that are sensitive to price so retailers uh, have all built up a bunch of their loyalty programs their shopper frequent shopper card programs and uh, in the last four or five years thanks to uh, intense retail competition and players like Amazon with uh, their data uh, as a differentiator entering the entering the grocery space or expanding in the grocery space, uh, many retailers have invested quite aggressively to learn about their shoppers through their shopper cards and know which how you know which kinds of discounts will attract a Driggs household versus a Davy household, right? So so they are offering those kinds of targeted promotions. Uh, the third thing that retailers are probably are doing is to uh, ensure that uh, the 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 value products are displayed more prominently, so that when a shopper enters an aisle, they can, if that's what they're looking for, they can see those you know attractive price points quickly and get to it as opposed to you know search for across a bunch of products to see which one you know what is a which one is a attractively priced. Then the fourth one, which we haven't started seeing yet, but I suspect we will, is um, promoting differently during the beginning of the month when a lot of lot more paychecks are available, or when uh, you know the the EBTs are kind of uh, loaded, uh, electronic uh, benefit payments from SNAP and other programs, government programs are loaded at different times in uh, of the month in different parts of um, uh, of the country. And promoting uh, smaller items, uh, you know, smaller smaller items meaning smaller volumes or smaller packs, which are more attractive uh, when when you kind of you know run out of your grocery spending for the month. So those kinds of strategies they are kind of adopting and uh, and 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 trying to help the shoppers uh, deal with inflation. That's awesome. Those are some really. Excellent, excellent insight into how retailers can hang on to their valuable shoppers. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned actually was, you know, that supply, like what happens when consumers get to the shelf and they don't find what they're looking for. Um, that's been a huge burden these many, many months. And there's a huge price, I would think, for retailers and brands to pay when consumers don't find their preferred product. Um, so is there a fix, like a supply chain fix, or is this going to level out soon enough? Yeah, I have been very keenly observing what different manufacturers and retailers are saying as to when this problem will be solved. And it varies from six to eight weeks to six to eight months to 2023. So my my uh, uh, conclusions are a couple, a couple of conclusions. One, uh, varies by category. Um, that's looking at the bright side of things. And second is uh, nobody has a clue, right? I mean, it's it's just a, it's just such a ma- massive shift that uh, people are all guessing as to when this will resolve. And when in doubt, we all uh, kind of say second half. You know, when will inflation subside? Second half of the year. When will because it's at least you know three to four months out. So. Okay, well, Hopefully you know I can come back to you, up. right? I'm a, <laughs> we're in a betting season right, right now. <laughs> when will supply chain? That's right. I mean, I heard like 30% of the people are betting, 30% more of the people are betting for Super Bowl. That's a very interesting fact I learned today. Uh, 
But um, more seriously, there are really um, about two, three factors that are at play. You know, some are, I would call them as structural problems. The structural problem is in-home demand got elevated, spiked up so much in uh, the last year and a half. And out-of-home demand kind of really went the other way for at least a year, right? With all the mask mandates and COVID fears and until the vaccine came came on board. And, uh, you know, I think it was last May, middle of May when the mask mandate first was, you know, removed. And, and children got vaccinated only recently, right, in the last three, four months. So with all of that, out-of-home consumption really shrank and in-home consumption really spiked. So, you know, for a, a soda manufacturer, you know, all of their fountain business, for instance, um, you know, just kind of really came, came crashing down. And then they had to go and find all of that through bottles and cans, which were, you know, all in short supply. So that kind of a swing in the pendulum from in-home out of home for a, for a toilet paper manufacturer. All the kinds of toilet paper that they had in offices and workplaces were very different than the toilet paper they were selling for us, right? So they had to retool the factory. So all of that, retooling the factory and readjusting and also getting all the right packaging material uh, and, and packs, um, you know, it was, a, it was an unprecedented change, right? So, and, and companies are getting, you know, settled on that. The second was the whole lockdowns in South Asia, China, you know, some of them have zero tolerance uh, COVID policy. So when, you know, they detect a couple of cases, they lock down the entire city. So nobody's going to work, things are not getting shipped. And then the same with the shipping, right? All the shipping congestion, which has been well-documented. Uh, and, Another structural issue, uh, so some of them are temporal, some of them are structural, right? So um, this temporal issue is around these whole port congestions, et cetera, right? But if you look at uh, the labor, uh, the trucking labor, you know, that was a problem even pre-COVID, right? It was well-written about and well-known, and the truckers were kind of aging. Uh, there were more uh, attractive opportunities in, you know, Asia, I mean, in Australia and New Zealand, where they could make more money here, you know, with all the changes in regulation, the trucking industry was undergoing change. And, you know, shipping costs were going up even pre-COVID. Uh, and we had a year or two of, you know, spikes because of shipping costs, uh, trucking uh, delivery costs, right? And that's a structural problem that's yet to be fixed. And that kind of has been aggravated during COVID. And then the labor shortages, right? In in the first year of COVID, nobody moved. I mean, everybody was frozen. Jobs were cut. Uh, people took pay cuts. People kind of stayed put. And then once the mass mandate came off and companies, you know, started fulfilling demand, there's a huge hiring uh, going on in lots of places and people are leaving. So the factories, I mean, and, and on the top of that, there were some union workers went on strike in some of the big consumer product companies, right, in many companies. And then, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the industry had shifted to just-in-time production, uh, the contract manufacturing, all of that. And so some of them have less stringent policies in terms of hiring quickly and, and ability to be adaptive and nimble like the big companies have been. So all of that has kind of come into play, a perfect tsunami. And uh, we are all kind of uh, seeing the impact of that shipping, uh, not shipping, packaging. Besides the commodity, um, you know, the usual droughts and uh, frosts, 
that affect commodity prices. We also have um, you know, problems with aluminum cans, plastic bottles, and other packaging material, which uh, also has delayed uh, uh, you know, shipping products when they are ready. So all of this has affected supply. You know, the supply chain is a mess of, is, 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 is a aggregate of all of these issues. It's, it's complicated for sure. Yeah. It's complicated. And so one, you know, it's a noodle, right? And you have to kind of unwind one by one uh, a bunch of these things. And that may take whatever the, 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 the forecast is from now to till year end. Got it. Okay. So let's, you talked a little bit about what happened to that away from home food dollar or the consumption, you know, during the pandemic. And right now it looks like Omicron, you know, is starting to wane and several states like large states um, are loosening their mask mandates. So we could assume that this is probably going to like lead to greater mobility, but what does this mean for that fine balance between the away from home food and at home food? How yeah, the mobility. Yeah, the Omicron did kind of slow down mobility quite a bit. So uh, you know, I just have some statistics here. The last week of December, the the week before the last week of December, let's say the third week of December, it was minus twenty seven compared to pre COVID, right? In terms of workplace mobility, and then it was down to minus seventeen this year. So I'm talking about twenty twenty versus twenty twenty one. So minus 27 had come down to minus 17 because we are kind of used to, you know, living with COVID with the vaccines uh, and uh, and children getting vaccinated and all that. But then because of Omicron, it spiked back uh, down to minus 24, minus 25 in early part of January. And then since then, it has been much better. It's kind of now coming down, coming back down to minus 20 and minus 17 and uh and numbers like that, we actually expect the workplace mobility to settle somewhere between 5% to 10% below pre-COVID norms because we believe uh, there's a, a significant uh, uh, portion of the white-collar jobs could be you know, work from anywhere kind of a, a routine, right? So work from home, at least part of the time, right? So uh, there are estimates, I've seen estimates varying from 20 million to 40 million uh, uh, workers working you know at least one to two days a week from home right which will drive significant uh, in-home consumption will kind of keep in-home consumption elevated compared to pre-covid now out-of-home consumption as reported by especially by beverage manufacturers you know two of them announced yesterday earnings their out-of-home business has picked up uh, in it's about 2019 levels and, uh, uh, you know, all the travel-related uh, earnings calls that we have been monitoring, Expedia being one this morning, they're all saying, you know, travel has picked up quite a bit. People, you know, take their precautions. A lot of airlines are flying full. I have been on whatever, five, six flights since the beginning of this year. All of them have been completely packed. Uh, people wear their masks and uh, and all of that out-of-home consumption, whether in the airport, on the flight, in the hotel, um, is happening, right? So we believe out-of-home consumption, you know, will be back fully. I mean, there's still restaurants having some issues, labor shortages and material shortages. So some of them are closed, at least, you know, they're all not operating full in their full capacity yet. But we believe uh, later on, barring any unforeseen COVID uh, outbreak, 
we believe uh, will net out around this 5-10% kind of a range, which would mean out of form will kind of pick back up quite a bit. In fact, uh, a little factoid to, uh, to engage on, spirits, liquor, and beer all spiked in the first year of COVID, right? Significant in-home demand. They were all settled back to their 2019 levels now. They've all come down, which means people are not consuming you know, uh, all of those at home, they're kind of going to bars and restaurants and hotels. So wait, I want to stop there though. But, you know, if you're looking at January, could that be part of dry January or you're just really seeing it pick up? No, in... I'm, I'm looking at it from a last three, four months perspective. Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not the, just the dry January uh, effect. Uh, we are looking at it from a latest 12 weeks. We monitor two, two trends, right? Latest four and latest 12 with our data that keeps coming to just, you know, see if, the, I mean, there, there may be false positives. The L4 could be biased. And so we look at L12 and the trajectory to say, hey, you know, which of these are likely to stick? But, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. So we have some real-time data that we leverage to constantly analyze and glean some insight. So that's encouraging. And then, you know, again, with that increasing mobility, when we're talking about how we shop, you know, I would imagine, again, high inflation, people are going to be looking for deals. So probably more trips to more stores looking for those deals. So maybe some of those promotions that you were talking about in store um, for retailers are even more important. Yes, I, I think all of all of uh, the, the factors you outlined are uh uh, I think are going to be in play uh, later, earlier, you know, earlier part of this year, but certainly later part of this year. The one other thing on Omicron is Omicron did disrupt production substantially because so many people got sick. They called out sick, right? And and that we are just beginning to, I think, uh, tide over. So it did affect a lot of production and supply in the last six, uh, six to eight weeks. Airlines was, you know, was always in the news. How many flight cancellations we had? Uh, how many? You know, I think I've seen reports of uh, some of the factory managers saying typically fifteen to twenty percent are calling out sick every day, so they can't, you know, schedule their production um, and uh, and and deliver products. Now I think we are behind it. Having said that, from a store perspective, in-store perspective, uh, I do expect um, consumers to um, um, come back to stores. We have seen evidence of that last year before Delta broke out and before Omicron broke out right last fall. Uh, and, and once consumers start coming out and once you know the, there is unit volume declines that we are seeing for retailers and for manufacturers, uh, and as out-of-home consumption increases, there'll be more competition. I think there's a bunch of capacity that has been added because, you know, when you add capacity, you're kind of taking a guess at six months out, a year out. Um, so uh, I think there is more capacity for in-home uh, in-home products, and that capacity will pressure manufacturers to compete. Uh, and so I, that is why I expect uh, promotions to come back. And then, you know, and also the inflation, when it, you know, when it, when across the economy, it's like seven and a half percent and for, you know, grocery, you know, leading that with 10% or 9% kind of growth, uh, people will begin to look for promotions and wait for promotions to shop. So. So that's actually kind of a helpful outlook. And I'm wondering if you could kind of give us a little wrap up of what the outlook for 2020 is going to be 
you know, across some of these things like pricing and inflation and supply and overall consumption? Yeah, in in 2022, uh, what we are anticipating is the first half is going to be different than second half. Hopefully, in second half, we'll have less uh, inflation in terms of price uh, as a bunch of these issues get uh, get uh, sorted out. Uh, well, uh, based on everything that we are seeing, uh, we are hoping the you know supply will improve quite a bit, even as demand kind of softens, and we do think. Uh, 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 demand uh, from an organic volume demand or unit demand is going to be negative compared to last year. Uh, last year we grew uh, about um, uh, you know two point two percent. So we have been growing at a, on an average of three percent volume in the last two years. Right. Typically, the food and beverage uh, you know consumption grows about half a percent based on population growth, right? Roughly half a percent. If you look at it in a long-term average, typically it grows about half a percent. And then we take about two to 3% of pricing. So the industry grows about 3%. That used to be our industry norm. But uh, with COVID, uh, we had a sudden spike in 2020 of about 7% volume growth, right? Across all of food and beverage. And we are now netting around on average 3%, right? For the last two years, uh, three to three and a half percent. We believe uh, that will come down, right? So we believe compared to last year will be down, but compared to co- pre-COVID, uh, we'll still be up about half a to half uh, 0.5 to about one, 1.1, 1. 1.2%. And that's because of this uh, substantial uh, remote and hybrid work that will continue uh, through, you know, uh, 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 even if, you know, everything, all the restrictions go away and we all kind of go back to working from office, which we haven't, right? I mean, already we have two months into the second month into the year and some offices are reopening, including ours, right? But but everybody is not going to go back full time just because, you know, it'll take some time for their for the workers to kind of uh, shift their routines and uh, make other arrangements for their children and uh, all of that to kind of attend uh, work uh, full time. From a pricing perspective, we anticipated an eight percent growth uh, about in the fall, late fall. We uh, we predicted an eight percent growth. We're already seeing eight percent growth. There's still some pricing yet to come based on all the manufacturer announcements and the and the challenges that they're having. I think Hershey reported last week and said, "Hey, we can you know meet demand," and we are still you know uh, and Mondali said we are still kind of supply constrained. So in that environment, at least promotions, uh, and and they're kind of cutting some advertising, cutting some promotions so that they don't create uh, uh, unfulfilled demand for the consumer shopper because then shopper you know will go away. Uh, so we we do ant- anticipate this eight percent to continue for the first half, or eight to nine percent to continue in in some form or other and moderate. So if you add all of that up, the industry will still grow. The industry will have, uh, you know, last year we grew from a dollar perspective about 3%. This year we'll grow probably around the same in this year, more so because of pricing and um, and the volume will soft, will be softer, but better than 2019, um, 2019 volume. So that's from a macro outlook perspective. From a micro category perspective, there are, you know, we have kind of bucketed 
a bunch of categories into some categories will continue to remain elevated from a demand perspective. These are categories that are convenient meals because of this, you know, working from home uh, 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 cohort. Uh, it's like frozen breakfast and refrigerated entrees and frozen snacks, you know, those kinds of items, uh, multivitamins because of the health concerns, right? So convenience and self-care, we believe, will remain, demand will remain elevated. At-home cooking, sadly, is going to kind of revert back to normal by the end of the year. People have cooked enough and, uh, it, you know, you know, it's just going to, you know, as out-of-home options uh, become uh, more available and people are moving about for work and for school and other purposes, they're going to start eating out uh, more than they have done in the last two years. Snacking, indulgence, better for you. They were all had secular growth pre-COVID. They were they spiked up uh, during the last couple of years. They have continued to grow. Uh, some categories that uh, were hurt uh, because of COVID, like all the on-the-go granola bars and gum and deodorant and beauty, some some parts of beauty, they will kind of come back, bounce back. And then some of the other ones that are non-edible uh, uh, essentials like laundry and toothpaste and lotion, you know, they'll continue to kind of uh, grow at the, the rate at which uh, they were growing before. So if there is nuance, right? Even though we say in aggregate, the volume will come down. The volume will be up for some and will be down for some and some will recover. Uh, so that that's something that we are seeing. Uh, we are anticipating promotions we touched upon. We do believe later on, as the supply chain issues get um, get ironed out, we believe variety will increase. Uh, variety and innovation will come back because you know we are all trained. Even though you know some people may have appreciated the simplicity of just having you know five uh, choices in supposed to fifty choices, uh, we don't think it's a sustainable thing. We are all used to having more innovative, uh, more. Uh, uh, you know, in some some categories, in some categories, like the toothpaste I put in my mouth, I want the same one. I don't want a new one. I don't want to try it, right? Or the coffee, the first cup of coffee. But but another cup of coffee in the afternoon, I'm, I'm open to trying something else, right? So we believe variety and innovation will come back much more towards the end of the year. As competition intensifies, we need to differentiate our products from other products and bring back the variety so those are the broad and advertising will come back up as demand wanes you need to kind of stimulate and as you if you can fulfill demand then you're going to advertise um, so in some categories advertising has come down some brands have not but some brands have kind of deliberately reduced their advertising uh, away from home consumption obviously as given our discussions will kind of spike up uh, e-commerce, e-commerce we haven't touched on. It's an important phenomenon. E-commerce will continue to stick. One one su- surprising thing for me, right, is the growth in club channels and growth in e-commerce, right? So growth in e-commerce, everybody has talked about. We found that the younger generation adopted uh, club channel uh, during COVID and all the, all the club players are saying that they are redeeming renewing a bunch of these younger consumers who came and, and registered for the first time. So the club channel will continue to grow just because of the new household formation. A lot of uh, millennials and um, Gen X are buying homes and you know moving to the suburbs um, and and therefore kind of stocking their pantries. So that that will I think that that phenomenon will continue. Like you know we are you know members at Costco and 
when uh, we became empty nesters, we thought we'll give up the membership. But you know what? After three months, we actually came back, went back because of all their value proposition. It's not about money. It's about getting that quality, getting the convenience. Once you're used to it, you know, good choices. And I don't need to think too much. I just buy it because the merchant at Costco has done the work for me, right? Uh, so on the e-commerce side, uh, e-commerce is, is something that a convenience that uh, a bunch of consumers are accustomed to. And now they will, uh, it's like ATM machine. Nobody goes inside the bank and kind of get, goes to the teller and withdraws cash. Grocery will become that way, right? You're just going to click and buy. And for certain things, you may still go in store, but e-commerce Wait, a- will ATM? continue to be there. KK, who uses the ATM anymore? <laughs> now people phone, don't use buddy. ATM. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now people are just doing Venmoing and selling and uh, don't even go to the ATM. That should be the more appropriate one versus the ATM versus teller. But the point is different generations, you know, change different things. So e-commerce is there. The interesting thing on that area was uh, the third-party delivery services. I personally thought that the third-party delivery services will come down as mask mandate um, came off, but they've still, you know, they have legs and they're still being used quite a bit. I think at both ends of the spectrum, there's a set of consumers who can afford it, who can afford to pay the charges, who don't want to do the TDM of grocery and are used to the Instacarts and uh, others. Uh, and then there's another set of consumers who want instantly something at you know at midnight or ten o'clock or eleven o'clock, and they just order stuff in thirty minutes. You know, delivery go off or you know other services. So we we are seeing they're kind of growing and kind of really getting embedded in the industry. So uh, we believe those will probably uh, continue to uh, you know strengthen and uh, be a significant player in CPG. Your insight is just so valuable. And rather than kind of go back through each of the different chapters, I really just want to focus on some of the things that you shared with the outlook. And that is that, you know, the over the industry is going to continue to grow. Um, but in 2022, it'll be really it'll be um, driven by price more than more than that increased volume. And from a category perspective, it's it's going to remain elevated, particularly because we have more of the population working from home, at least some of the time. And we're going to be looking at things like convenience meals, um, multivitamins for self-care. Um, you're pretty much saying that the scratch cooking phenomenon that has driven the market for the past couple of years is going to really kind of ease, die away. Um, you know, we're sick of it and we're going to be dining out more anyway. Um, we have we know that we have a lot more um occasions for snacking and stuff. So that will probably remain and more on the go, right? Um, So you also mentioned that, you know, the supply chain will iron out eventually, um, and that innovation and variety are going to make a big comeback, um, especially in areas where we're open to it, you know, and maybe some of those personal care companies are going to take you as a personal, their personal chore to get you to swap out your toothpaste. Just saying. Um, So you also talked about the channel shifts. And I loved what you mentioned about the club channel with younger consumers, those who are growing their households, growing their families, being in it for the long haul. So that's really kind of a great outlook. And um, then, of course, with e-commerce, you know, that is a convenience that we have really become accustomed to. And um, I thought it was interesting, your comment about the third-party delivery services. 
And I liked your pun um, that they have legs. I know it wasn't intended, but it really is true. And, you know, that we want it when we want it. And especially for young consumers who don't think anything, they don't think twice about, you know, calling up for a late night delivery of stuff. So just really a terrific um, time speaking with you. And I look forward to our next conversation. I always learn so much. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.